Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Dish with Dina podcast. Today's guest is my friend and colleague, Amelia Sherry. Amelia and I dish about the world of diet culture, negative body images, and navigating language that can negatively affect children as they grow up. Amelia Sherry is a registered dietitian who uses a non-diet, weight-inclusive approach when working with her clients. She's also the founder of NourishHer.com, an online space dedicated to helping parents understand positive ways to parent around food and body image. And she has recently published Diet Proof Your Daughter, which supports her philosophy around raising children to have a positive relationship with their bodies and food. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome, Amelia Sherry, to the Dish with Dina podcast. It's so nice to see you and be able to catch up with you after not having seen each other in some time. How are you doing today? I'm really good, Dina. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. And I love, I feel like I get to see you a lot because I see you on social all the time. This is true. This is true. I forget that. (laughs) I forget that we are able to cross connect in the virtual space, which has become kind of like our new normal. Amelia, when I start my conversations with my guests, I always ask them how they know me, but I love sharing the story of how I know you because it's really stuck in my brain for this many years when I was starting out and I was in my dietetic program, my curriculum at Lehman College your name came up through my professor, Mary Ellen Dorfman, and we were putting together a nutrition event of some sort, and you came and graciously gave a guest speaking presentation to us. And ever since then, you've been so gracious with your time and your valuable knowledge as I have tried to navigate my way throughout this career as a student, as an intern, and even as my new profession. And then we were just talking to that. I also held back to back. I had these, I'm not doing it this year at the time of this recording in 2023, but I'm not doing that. The um, virtual wellness retreat, the made with love fundraiser. And again, you were so gracious with your time of coming and presenting on a virtual platform, which was kind of to a global audience. So I'm so pleased that we get to keep in contact with this. And am I forgetting anything? Is there any other way that we've crossed paths or kept in touch other than the social media? No, I think primarily it was through, um, you know, through starting our careers as dietitians. Yeah. It was just a few years ahead of you. And yes, just like nutrition, it's complicated. So is uh, the profession of being a nutritionist and a dietitian. So um, yes, yeah, they have that in common and it is a lot to navigate, but very rewarding. Right? Yeah. And I, I really believe that at least so many of the people within our profession that I've come across and myself included, we're very giving of our time and knowledge. Like I think we like passing on information and sharing our experiences and lessons learned as well, because things do come up or things might change as it has done in the past with the whole bachelor's degree into a master's degree requirement now. So it really helps to have that mentorship and that like-mindedness approach when we are navigating these new professions and these careers. So I want to go through first just how you came about going into nutrition. And then I want to definitely talk about this new venture that you've taken on within the last handful of years of really focusing in on what we call diet proofing your your daughter. So let's talk a little bit about where nutrition first became an interest of yours. Yeah, so actually um, talk a lot about it in the beginning of my book, but it is probably um, a relatable story in the sense that I first was 
very entrenched and acquainted with dieting, you know, as a teenager, even as a middle schooler. And then I became sort of a quote unquote expert in nutrition with the main focus of trying to be be thin, get thin, get thinner. Um, and it followed me into my first career, which was working in women's magazines. And I wrote about health, nutrition, fitness, focused a lot of on nutrition, which was uh, a unique niche in, at that time. Um, they were just starting to have like nutrition columns and like fitness magazine, things like that. Um, and my mom was always focused on food. <laughs> so I knew a lot about nutrition for, from that reason as well. Um, and eventually I became a dietitian. So my first career was in writing about it and trying to, um, really perfect my nutrition. And then I realized that I really wanted to help people with their own eating, but in a much different way than I had been eating, you know, with a much less focus on trying to, um, kind of create the perfect body, right? That that's what many of us have been trained to focus on when it comes to our eating. And I think that's really something special to point out is that when people think of food and nutrition, they do think about too much, too little. We use words a lot of times where we place morality on food, like good or bad, but we're also talking about the clinical aspect of having a physical and mental health support in the fact that the choices that we make can put us in the direction of exacerbating a condition or helping us potentially prevent or manage something from, from becoming worse. And also in doing so, allowing us that flexibility too, which is where I think I'm really grateful. And maybe you'll agree with this as well, that the new, the new generation of dietitians, I think are, while we definitely have the clinical knowledge, we understand the base of if we're in a hospital setting, how to keep someone alive with calories and the energy requirements, but also in the more community and education and counseling uh, approaches that we take of how we're really trying to make sure that we be mindful of our language. We try to embrace diversity and body image and body sizes. And this is where I would love to get your take on this too, because I know that we've had this conversation just recently that I, I didn't necessarily have dieting in my home, but I definitely had some food restrictions and some, some disciplinary actions taken upon me about like, and I've said this before in a lot of episodes of being held hostage at the table of having this clean eating, you know, clean plate club, I should say, where I don't get to leave until my food is finished or my you know, my meal is finished. And I can't have dessert. So there was a lot of hierarchy placed on the foods, the ingredients, how we use the terminology there. And that definitely played a role in influencing me flashing forward to what I'm doing. So let's start a little bit with that. You know, you mentioned that you're the author of Diet Proof Your Daughter. How did this come about with knowing that you really had to hone in on this particular population? And then also, if you can speak to the fact that we're, we're speaking to the parent. I mean, the daughter, depending on how old the child is, may or may not be the one responsible for purchasing their food or creating their meals. So tell us a little bit about how the process of writing that came in, but also how you decided on making that niche your target audience. I um, was a dieter and had a lot of disordered eating. Um, as I recovered from that as a single person, I still had a lot of control over what I was doing. I wasn't dieting. Um, I was working on more intuitive eating, et cetera, et cetera. I felt I was in a very good, not et cetera, et cetera, because intuitive eating is very nuanced and complicated and, and very um, beneficial. Um, but I felt I was in a good place with it. It helped me heal my relationship with food. When I became a parent, everything got sort of um, 
riled up all over again, sort of triggered again, sort of teaching my daughter what to eat, what not to eat. A lot of food fears started to creep in again. Now it's from a parenting perspective. I wasn't so worried about her weight, um, although that might have been a much deeper level that I wasn't, you know, so conscious of, but I was worried about things being quote unquote healthy or not healthy, um, which is, you know, language that I do not use anymore. Um, and with that in mind, I started focusing on helping mothers who um, have recovered from eating disorders or disordered eating or even just chronic dieting who are concerned about their own children's relationship with food and helping them avoid some of those um, negative um, behaviors, thoughts, attitudes that many of us, myself, I'll speak for, and actually very, very broadly, many people I've spoken to have the same experience, but those negative things that we um, grew up believing about food and making things really complicated. So moms who have had that experience sort of recovered and want to protect their children from it. And I ultimately, so my first career, as I just mentioned, I was a writer, I was a magazine writer. So I ultimately wrote a book about it. And in the book, I share a lot of stories. I share personal stories, but I also share my stories working as um, a dietitian and a pediatric dietitian working with children and primarily with their parents, which is a um, something that I sort of even had to introduce into the practice, the clinical practice that I was in at the time, because it's always help the child, help the child, help the child to be eat healthier. Um, when in fact, excuse me, that's my puppy barking. When in fact, um, when in fact it was it, the part of good eating is really the parent's job, right? The parent is the one that brings food into the home. The parents, the ones that sets the tone about food, builds structure, um, and our child's eating is something that changes and grows over time. It's not something that we just have to get, quote unquote, them to do, and they're either doing it right or wrong. Um, so hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely did. I mean, I, as I've been known to do, I scribble a lot of notes because you're getting my thoughts going here because there's a few things I want to, I want to focus on. I think the first one is the coming into it as someone who is a client of yours or a reader of your book of how they're taking their experience and how maybe they now need to unlearn so many things. And that is something, especially in the time and place in which we live, right? We love instant gratification. Everything has to be done yesterday, but that is a lot of undoing of your own trauma, your own experiences, your own, like you said, the chronic dieting of knowing only certain language and having to unlearn it. So I don't know if you even have statistics on this yet or not, but how long does it take somebody to really be able on average to say like, I'm, I'm ready to start learning, you know, the stages of change that we sometimes talk about to being open and receiving to taking action to something. There's gotta be a lot of trial and error in there too. And I ask this because number one, maybe people who aren't open yet because they think, you know, well, whatever we've done in the past is work, why change? They might be open to something, but worry that they have already gone too far into their child's life. Like I've already, you know, messed them up and I don't know how to undo that. Or they're not entirely sure of how long of a commitment this might be, like how many exercises or efforts that they have to do to really watch their language and their approach to food. So do you have some sort of understanding or how people maybe have given feedback to you of, you know, was this like an instant thing that they tried one day and it really seemed to catch on or is it trial and error over and over again? So um, absolutely not an instant thing. Um, one thing about, well, we haven't used words like the anti-diet movement or non-diet um, 
that is very polarizing. There's many people who are on one side of like, yes, I'm anti-diet, no, no dieting. And there's other people who still believe that thinner is better and weight is primary when it comes to health. Um, I, in working with people, have um, am very sensitive to the fact that there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of in between and everyone is at a different place in their journey and we all go through it at a different pace. So there's no one set amount of time. Um, pe some people have already sworn off dieting. Some people haven't even thought about dieting, um, but maybe they are kind of inhaling the thinner is better culture, which is so common. So they're fearful of weight or weight gain in their child. Um, so they might just be starting to think about like what is restriction or dying and is it could it be harmful you know that might be like a new thought to someone where someone who's recovered from an eating disorder um might be very very aware that hey i don't want this for my daughter at all or my son or myself you know um so there we're all in different places and you brought up initially when you were talking about your own like upbringing that you didn't have you know there weren't like frank i guess dieters like everyone's dining your family but there was a lot going on at the table comments made. And it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, one of the first things that I do with a lot of the clients or, and you can think about it on your own in the book is to think about your own culture at home, your own food culture. It's so unique for all of us. There are different values. There's different beliefs. There's different availability of foods. There's different time constraints. Some families have time to sit down and prepare meals and eat together. Others don't. Some families prioritize health. Some families prioritize pleasure. Um, some families, that what I found is there's a lot of pressure to eat in certain ways, but they actually making time to cook and do all these wonderful things is not prioritized. So what you can kind of do just to start unravel is think about your own, your own childhood and your own culture. Like was food thought of for health reasons? Was it for pleasure? Was there emphasis on eating together? Was there, uh, was that sort of not thought of at all? Was it more catch as catch can? Because the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is that these beliefs and attitudes and values that we develop when we're younger really get carried into um, our behaviors around food as we're older. And then of course, there's the larger culture that we're all impacted by, right? This thinner is better culture. A lot of this is there's also so many external factors, as you mentioned, and we're talking like in concentric circles. So the external factor of who else is living in that household. I just got done having a conversation with a client of mine who is younger, still lives at home with her parents, but is a college aged child, right? This is still in pediatrics term from zero to 20. You're still considered mm -hmm. a child on the growth charts and how we're going to the pediatricians and reliant on their family members and their family members do not have the same approach to diet or, and I'm talking about diet as far as like meal preparation and, and mm -hmm. whatever food she's eating in her meal planning and her own health needs. And so the thing that came up, which I actually just talked a little bit earlier today on one of my Instagram reels was why is it okay for some of us to feel like we can sacrifice our own needs and, and our own priorities, especially where our mental or physical health is concerned, to allow the comfort of others to exist. So why is it okay that she'll just let that happen because that's just how my family is instead of having the ability, and that, that's really where it could lie in too, having the strength and confidence of saying, we need to have a conversation and set some boundaries here or the language that you're using 
isn't really working for me or the whatever the you know actions that you're taking isn't really working for me so that too have you seen a child at a certain age comment on the parent or the mother's interactions or engagement or language that's used too because that could also be a catalyst of setting the adult to say I think I need to help my my child now so have Mm -hmm. they been able to point out like mommy you know you're making me feel bad what my experience has been is so my clients are parents um that they are reflective of what was said to them and how it impacted them and that they don't want to repeat behavior um there have many of those Parents, mothers primarily, are still experiencing those comments and ha- working at the table either about their weight, about their eating. Now the um, parent, aunt, uncle, dad is commenting on the way their food, what I call food parenting their child, um, and they still have trouble coming up with how to confront um, their own parent, the grandparent now, right? Um, how to set boundaries of, around it. And that is actually something that a lot of parents ask me about and um, something that um, even I, you know, struggle with. Those family dynamics run deep. You know, I can give advice about what, you know, how to set a boundary with a family member at the dinner table, at the holiday table, as in, um, you know, you could pull the person aside and said, we're not talking, we don't comment on weight, we don't comment on food choices, Um or you could say it directly in front of them. And there are many different ways to do it. My biggest tip is always know your audience. Think about how people react. Some people are flexible and open-minded and will say, oh, okay. You know, and other people are not. We all know those people who are not going to change their point of view no matter what, which means you usually need a stronger, you know, boundary. Hey, if you can't, you know, respect what I'm asking you, then we're not going to be able to eat together anymore. You know, we're going to have to not have meals together. We'll do, you know, do other things. So um, it's always case by case, but I haven't I had um, younger people aren't as aware of what, you know, you take what your parents says as truth, you know, and, and that's, that's been tough for me. I have to intervene too, in terms of like say a parent comes in and wants to help, maybe their child has gained weight faster than the parent believes is correct or healthy or just desirable. Um, So you really have to work with the parent understanding how their language, thoughts, beliefs can be harmful um, to their child instead of me kind of helping the child advocate for themselves. Um, Yeah, that's definitely a work of a psychotherapist, I think too, you know. I was just going to say that too. We as dietitians have to recognize while we have the therapy part of MNT, medical nutrition therapy, we're not psychologists. We don't have the psychiatric background as, you know, behavioral therapists do or licensed clinical social workers or family therapists. So we definitely also need to recognize where we have the, um, limitations to have to then say, I think this is a little bit deeper than I am able to help you with. And this is probably my recommendation is you all work as a family to get some other kind of outside support and, you know, work with another specialist in yeah. there. Uh, if that- there's any um, dietitians listening, because this comes up a lot when you're working with eating disorders and, and many things. So eating is so fueled with emotion and family mm-hmm. dynamics. 
Um, so, but if there are any dietitians or budding RDs out there, I always just remind myself that we, like I, in my scope of practice is helping with feelings that are about food and eating. Yes. Um, but outside of that, outside my scope of practice, you know, helping with your, the dynamic between you and your mother, you and your child, that's, a, I, I cannot support that. But if it is a feeling about food, we can talk about that. Right. And right. challenge, understand where it's coming from and challenge, you know, for example, if someone believes Cheetos are unhealthy. Like, let's talk about it. You know, is it true? Where does it come from? How's it impacting your behavior? That kind of thing. So that that's just kind of like a little rule of thumb I think about sometimes. Like, is this feeling about food or behavior about food? Or is it about something that is, you know, not more about the dynamic between two people, right? Or self. Right. Yeah. The deeply rooted relationship that goes beyond the food discussion. <laughs> and, you know, you brought up the conversation around holidays at the time of this recording, we are entering into the holiday season. And that's something too, that is reminding me of the systemic issues that we have with weight, because we do see a lot of diet pills and the new year, new you approach. And while we're trying to navigate one conversation in our home and also protect our children and also supply each other with new language to be using and try to like overcome the things that we've had ingrained in us in the earlier stages of our life when we were children ourselves. And then we're bombarded with not just on television, but just really the marketing of also foods in the grocery store. I mean, the list goes on and on, as I'm sure we can talk about with, you know, different uses of the words like skinny and clean and all these different things that people use as marketing terms. What do you make of that, Amelia? Like you're trying to fight an uphill battle sometimes when the world seems to be against not just you, but really, I want to say the dietetics profession as a whole. Sometimes how, what are your thoughts on that? And what's your take on that? Um, I think the first step is awareness is what they're telling me, you know, actually true. What, I mean, these are things that like, well, what I would do normally is work on, um, helping a child understand, right? Or helping a parent help their child understand why is this YouTuber saying this? Like, what is their motive? Um, how is it making me feel? Is it helpful? Is it harmful? Um, understanding that they're... Um, so I recommend doing education as is age appropriate about values and culture, what diet culture is, always age appropriate. A lot of parents ask me about when do you start? Well, it's always, it's very nuanced depending on your child's maturity, not just their age level, their age. Um, but understanding that the culture that we're living in right now values thinness. Um, it, it equates weight with health. And these are not values that we need to incorporate um, or embrace in our family. Um, that is a very, you know, higher sort of language. You wouldn't use that language with a young child, but making them aware so that they can then be critical of it um, and not absorb it just sort of unconsciously. Your value is not related to your size. Um, health is not defined by BMI or weight or, um, you know, all of those things. I think starting to be aware that it's out there, but just because it's out there doesn't mean it's right and not what you know, we as a family or us individually have to accept is sort of the first step. And then um, you become more what we want to teach our kids to do and ourselves, because many of us are, you know, even though I'm intellectually aware, I still do struggle with these things as well. Um, being Building a resilience towards it, understanding it's out there and it might sting sometimes um, or be alluring sometimes, but that, but we can bounce out of it and push back and protect ourselves. Um, 
yeah, and there's many tips and, and different things, different ways we can do that. But I think just first, again, going back to the original thing where, where are you at? I'm, if, for anyone who's listening, I'm showing my hands like across the spectrum. Where are you at? Are you just building awareness? Are you aware you need to take action? Have you taken action? Now you're spreading your message to everyone. You know, where are you at? It's okay to not be at the same place that someone else, you know, who swore off dieting, you know, and as an activist now, you might not be there. You may never be there. It's very challenging, but you might I be agree. towards that. Yeah, I agree. And I also, I mean, I share this a lot with my students as well, that a lot of the stuff that we learn in the textbooks are somewhat applicable, but there's also the person behind, right? So yes, you have a general guideline of what we need to do and how many grams of calcium and milligrams of calcium, et cetera, that a person needs during different stages of their life and that sort of thing. But just like you mentioned, there's so many determinants and underlying experiences and whether somebody has, you know, two jobs or one job, or they have a kitchen or they don't have a kitchen, you really have to take that into account. So it's not just about looking at a, a patient's chart or looking at an initial consultation or an intake form and just getting your mind, okay, right. Height, weight, this is kind of what's going on. It's really digging deeper and finding out some of those barriers and issues and challenges that somebody might have, and then meeting them where they're at. That's something that comes up a lot in dietetics as, as well. Thank goodness. I also have started sort of, at least in my world, seeing other healthcare providers change their language, not forcing somebody to get on a scale or asking, would it be okay if I weighed you, you know, those sort of things, I'm starting to see some changes. And I also know a lot of what we're talking about right now is hugely controversial in a lot of the health and wellness channels and professions um, outside of this. A lot of people make their money focusing mm -hmm. on dieting and, and integrating weight loss as part of their you know prescription or their treatment plan when there's so many more things that we might want to focus on first and that that might not be an end result that is sustainable and you could be doing more damage than good but that might be a topic for another day or um <laughs> well i was gonna say a soapbox for another day but that really brings me to what you just said as well with advocation uh, or advocacy i should say where if we spread knowledge, we just allow the education to get out there. Somebody benefits from what you're teaching them. They start leading by example. And now all of a sudden we have a new generation of people who are not going to have that next generation feel so tied to diet culture. And then maybe start paying more attention to, you know, maybe people in politics and policies and programs that get <laughs> created and we start advocating for change. Then what a wonderful world this would be, Amelia, in however many years from now. What other things do you see come up in some of the discussions? I'm not sure if I've asked some of the right questions because obviously you're specializing in this niche more than I am familiar with, but are there any other things that seem to come up as like a hot topic or questions that get asked you to help you navigate? The issue with kind of trying to heal your relationship with food, but then getting bombarded by family comes up quite a bit. I've seen it interestingly as well. Um, now I make a lot of sort of, um, I don't know, just a, not, uh, generalizations. It may or probably not apply to everyone, but what I've noticed kind of interesting is a lot of women have come to me sort of aware that they, you know, maybe they've healed, they've been dieting, they feel their relationship with food. They're being very intentional about how they are speaking to their children about food. They want to avoid disordered eating. Um, and then their spouse, now I'm being, this is again, very binary, 
most, you know, mother, female, maybe I has been pressured to look a certain way and be thin, has been dieting, has sort of recovered from it in a sense of knowing it's harmful. And then her partner, a male, has is hasn't had maybe the same pressure their whole life, but maybe now is middle age and sort of now becoming into, you know, their body's changing. Um, the culture is trying is sort of hitting them now, and they're becoming very worried about everything that everyone's eating and what they're eating. And they might go on like a health kick or a fitness kick, and then it becomes a challenge for um, mom to kind of navigate that. That can be really hard if you're not if you're parenting around food and you're both at different places with your own relationship with food and you have different values. So if you're struggling with that, like I wouldn't be surprised if, if that. Is, is something that's coming up for, for anyone who, who, you know, this stuff sounds familiar because um, I see that a lot, you know, and, and that can be challenging because the, now the, your spouse has had a totally different, you know, life kind of relating to food where their body wasn't being scrutinized. Their diet, they didn't go to diet to try to sort of quote unquote fix themselves, but now they are, and they don't understand, like maybe they haven't had that same um, firsthand experience with how really just damaging and, and harmful it can be when, when we do go down that road of just really focusing on trying to change our appearance um, with our with our food. The other thing that is, I think I've been focusing on a lot in my work over the last year is really working on body image and body image resilience um, has become so important. The number one driver of dieting is body dissatisfaction. So the number one reason so many of us are looking for all of these different fixes with food and, and going to all these extreme lengths is because we're unhappy with the way we look. Um, and of course, dieting is the leading risk factor for an eating disorder. It's just a dangerous road to go down. Not everyone who goes on a diet is going to develop an eating disorder, but it people who have eating disorders usually start as a diet. But going back a step, so instead of focusing on food relationship, going back and what is your relationship with your body? How, you know, how are you falling in those traps? How is it, how can we work on this um, so that you feel better about yourself? You don't ever, ever have to get all crazy, you know, about food. And um, so taking a step back and thinking about a relationship with our body is, is I think, underrated and wildly helpful to summarize. <laughs> and I know that that also stems from cultural and generational discussions too, because I worked as uh, in a high risk OBGYN office in one of my first ever jobs. And so I was working with a lot of patients who were pregnant, obviously. And so many of them would start off with what, you know, I want a healthy chubby baby. Okay. That's language. Right. And then my wife is getting too big. I'm like, okay, well, she's pregnant. And so it's interesting that sometimes we'll pe people will say things and there's also cultural uh, across mm -hmm. the globe about having a bigger size body equates you with having a higher status. Like, oh, you're able to afford food mm -hmm. and extravagances. And some people look at a slimmer size body as being the ideal because it means like you're ladylike and you're very fragile and, you know, waif-ish. And so- that stems from some things too. So even if in those tender ages of zero to two, we don't understand what's going on around us. It's like the second we start understanding language and the second somebody maybe from the external side starts pointing out, oh, you're developing very quick for your age or, oh, you got a little booty going on there. Or, oh, you're too skinny. You should eat something. It just gets ingrained no matter what. It like soaks into your bones and your skin and your brain. And again, that takes a lot of undoing because no matter 
where that is coming from, hopefully it's from a place of love and concern, but who's to say, it, it really can have a negative effect on people. And so I love that you say too, like, we don't use that language. We also address things from outside people. I tend to be like, hey, here's something. You're so interested in my business. Why don't you just send me some money to pay my rent? Like, how about we do that instead of you commenting on what I'm eating or what I look like? How about you do that? I'm in the I middle of come to a family meal with you, Dina. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm in the middle of menopause and you mentioned about body changes and I'm mm-hmm. I'm like, what is happening here? And oh, yeah. I have just, and I mean, even right, as you can see here, but also I've been kind of embracing for the last year of like, just going and leaning into my grayness. Like I'm, it, a lot of people will look at me and be like, oh, that ages you. And I'm like, I really just don't care. Like, I don't care anymore. I'm letting so much go that at least in my case, thank goodness, it wasn't that big of a discussion in my past about body image necessarily. It was more about being held hostage at the table to eat because food is love in my family. There's equations of if you don't eat, you don't love somebody, which is a whole other story as well. But I'm letting go a lot of things. And I'm like, you know, we really need to stop paying attention so much of this like outward appearance because vice versa too. I could easily have a bias towards somebody who looks a certain way and think negatively or positively of them. And it's totally different, right? Somebody who I think very is fascinating could be a total jerk. So like you really have to get to know people on a much different level. And I think it helps us peel layers of being so superficial in some way and allowing us to see each other for who we really are. And Correct me if I'm wrong too, Amelia, but I think also experiencing diversity in our own surroundings, whether you take a child to a different neighborhood or to a different restaurant or bring them to like different, especially in New York City, we have the luxury of having cultural events like Lunar New Year or the Ukrainian festival. Like there's so much going on that you really get to see such unique, diverse and wonderful personalities and cultures and sizes and foods. And so I think the more you can open up an experience to somebody too allows them to grow and maybe release some of that myopic perspective on themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, um, well, one thing, if one of the skills that I teach um, or tools or resources that I share in my body image course is a, a list of books that feature diverse bodies for children, because you're right, the more we can be exposed to diversity, um, in body shape, size, color, ability, the more our child going and adult, I believe, is go, or it's going to feel more comfortable and accepting of themselves. Um, another thing I wanted to comment on is you showed some um, body image resilience there with the hair comments. Someone comments on your hair and says, oh, it's that color is aging you. Um, it's very resilient to say, hey, I don't really care, you know, in the sense of maybe I acknowledge that, yes, youth is valued in this culture, but I, and it could sting for a second, but you're able to bounce out of it so quickly and embrace yourself and to say this, you know, there are also many opposing points of view that could say aging is a huge, um, a privilege. I mean, yeah. Thank goodness I made it this long. Mm -hmm. And your hair shows, you know, wisdom and maturity and experience and all the things that we love. And like, yeah. And, um, the other thing I wanted to say is that like, in terms of going back to parenting, two things that are very valuable to teach your child is that, you you cannot control your weight um, with your food. You know this is an idea that's sold to us over and over and over. Um, you you can't you know regardless of what body shape is revered, whether it's a you know a huge booty or a slim booty. If you want a huge booty, just changing your diet isn't going to change your body shape. 
Well, you know, we can argue that, yes, if you start starving yourself, you're going to get slimmer. If you start eating a lot, you're going to get bigger. But there are repercussions. We know as dietitians, you know, over time, those um, those things don't stick, right? People who lose weight from restriction tend to gain that weight back and more. People who pack on weight and it's not their natural sort of set point will lose it as soon as they stop, you know, eating, et cetera. But, um, and the other thing is that when our kids do see like different bodies and say, like, we need to really reframe and point, like we don't value people based on the way they look or their size, shape, ability, you know? Um, we can teach our kids to value what their body can do and how it feels and appreciate it. Just reframing. I mean, that, that was like a foreign concept to me. No one ever spoke to me like that when I was a child. And it's, it's challenging to embrace it as an adult and wrap my brain around it because we've been in this paradigm, you know, of if you just work hard, you could change your body and you could become this. Hey, did I even want to be that? You know, like, and, and yeah, yes. right. All that time and energy. Oh my goodness. Amelia, I want to be conscientious of our time. I do have a couple of more questions to ask as far as resources you mentioned. So I know you're providing some in the book. What about you? Are there certain things that you do or attend? I mean, I know as part of our profession, we have to maintain cred uh, credentialing or uh, continuing education units, but are there resources that you go to, to become more aware of how this discussion is developing or, you know, changes in just the healthcare profession as well? Um, do you mean sort of weight inclusive type? Could be. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, but people with picky eating, like anything that would also do with children and maybe the parent dynamic, like, is there anything in particular that is not included in your book that you, you personally tend to go to, to check out what's new and what's happening in the world of dietetics? I turn around and look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, I mean, how many books I'm a reader. So I, I obviously I'm going to plug my book because I talk about nutrition in it. I talk yes. about body image. I talk about acceptance, um, weight. There's a whole chapter on weight and weight science. Not that I'm an expert in that, but in enough to, it's a simplistic sort of view. And there are many, many resources in the book in terms of yeah. other books. So like if you're interested in the weight aspect, there are books there um, or body image, there are books recommended. Um the resource, anyone I can, we can share the link with the show for the list of um, diverse, like body diverse books, books that feature body diversity. I'm a huge fan of Ellen Satter. That's a little controversial as well. I love um, Katya Rao's responsive feeding um, approach. So most of the resources I use are yes. pediatric because I'm a, actually a pediatric yes. dietitian. Um, and then I kind of infuse it with non-diet, anti-diet, and weight-inclusive points of view and perspectives and way ways of practicing. Yeah. And what I what I offer is a positive food parenting um, course, and that's for parents. And it can also be helpful for um, just any dietitians or, or, or even um, therapists out there that are interested. I'd be more than happy to offer the course at a huge discount because I think we all need to understand um, what's going on. Positive food parenting is... Is, is not something that is widely thought about. And I think we could do so much better. You mentioned Ellen Satter. We've talked about her before on the episode uh, a bunch of times in various different conversations about the division of responsibility and specifically that uh, discussion. I really appreciate this take. I also wanted to find just quickly, what a, is there book number two or an expansion on some of the courses that you'll be providing? I have a, I have 
trim down my positive food parenting course, which is incredible, but a bit of a commitment for it's really for parents who are in the thick of it and have some problems to solve. I've trimmed it down just to feature, um, it's called body confidence buildup. So it's for parents who want to do um, a quicker sort of fix in terms of helping if they're struggling, if their child's saying I'm fat, or if they're just concerned that those things are coming up, um, or if their child's just saying they don't like their body, or if their body, your child's body is hitting puberty and starting to change sort of feelings can crop up, not just for the child, but for parents. So that's an awesome, I've had some people go through it already and it is awesome. Um, everyone's had great feedback and it makes me so happy. I think simple is better, right? So ha having a lot smaller kind of mini um, workshop has been really good. I, I see patients virtually from my home. Um, I still work at Mount Sinai part-time. Um, and I have courses, I do a lot of speaking, yeah. Um, and I'm always happy. If, I, I know you have a lot of RDs following you, Dina, um, because everyone loves you um, as an educator, not just a person, but look, looks up to you. So if you have any RDs in your audience, they can always reach out to me because I'm always open to having conversations to help people figure out what they wanna do and um, just navigating, right? Like our, our profession is, it's challenging and thinking, um, you know, outside the box. My career was not linear or straightforward and I encourage people to do that. I, I agree with you. And I've also taken that approach too. And I try to encourage people to granted there's stability in having a very traditional full-time job, but not everything is guaranteed or required. Sometimes if you feel like living outside the box, doing something else, supplementing your income, testing out new waters, changing direction in a field or moving into a completely new profession like I did. This was a second career for me that I really want people to know that there are other people out there who have done it and we're here to support you in however way we can. And the power is in networking, right? Allowing there to be strength in numbers, like the more stories that you hear. So whoever's listening to this, most people are usually dietetic students or interns or registered dietitians, but there are other health and wellness professionals. And I like that interdisciplinary discussion too. Like I follow a ton of therapists, a ton, because they have the behavioral perspective that I don't have. And I really love engaging in their content and learning more about what they focus on and what their niches are. And who knows, maybe one day I might take a class or something that's a little bit more formal just to get that in my back pocket, not become a therapist myself because I don't want to go back to school anymore. Um, <laughs> Amelia, is there anything that we haven't covered? Anything that you would like to share before we start wrapping up? Hmm, just um, keep asking questions. I think these discussions are so good. Um, never be afraid to ask a question of an RD. Always reach out if you need support. Many RDs like myself have sliding scales. Um, and if you are a parent um, and you're struggling and having kind of weird, uncomfortable feelings about your child's eating or their changing body, definitely you are not alone. You are absolutely not alone. You're not doing anything wrong either. You mentioned that before, like, you know, we feel like, oh, we've already gone too far. No one's gone too far and there's no damage that is irreversible or maybe even not damage. Just being aware um, is is hugely um, important and, and impactful. So if you have those feelings, you're definitely not alone. Reach out to me. If I can't help you, I will point you to someone else who can. Um, and yeah, let's help. Let's help young people so that they're not having these discussions, right? Mm, what a wonderful world it would be if we didn't focus so much on that one issue. Mm. And I think what you just mentioned made me remember that 
well, I, I don't forget that dietitians are human too. So a dietitian could be listening to this, who is also a parent who has come from disordered eating, family trauma in the past, who as a professional maybe doesn't integrate that into her approach with her clients, but maybe takes it home and is not bringing up her family in a way that she feels is comfortable for her. So, or whoever that is out there. So, you know, don't be, don't, no shame in the game of asking for help and support wherever you can get it. For any RD that is listening, the people that have gotten the most positive um, and most sort of emotional feedback from about this book has been other RDs because of their experiences working with other moms and because of their own experiences, because these are really tough things to talk about, you know? Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to practice what we preach. We, we know a lot, but it's still emotional. It still runs deep in it. Yes, yeah. That makes so much sense. A lot of times that's why we are interested in the field. Like you had said as well, because mm -hmm. things had happened in your past. I have my famous two-part question that will tie up and wrap up our conversation, which is what is on your plate today? So as soon as we're done having this conversation and we log off, what's the next thing that you're doing or working on? And then what is your next meal, Amelia? Ooh. <laughs> my husband's cooking tonight <laughs> um I honestly don't I am literally it's five o'clock right now and I'm going downstairs and I'm going to figure out dinner I don't have it all figured out and I do believe my husband is cooking um so we'll see what I'm going to be eating if I don't like dinner I'm going to be um taking some Christmas cookies that are already made out of the freezer and noshing on them if I'm not full after dinner um and Giannetti, you're Italian too right right yeah so yeah, we have a lot of little um, Italian cookies. And what is next on my plate in terms of work and- um, Whatever you're working on next. Yeah, I'm just really, really trying to lean into the to the body image um, work and really helping, um, you know, people, moms, and, you know, kids, whomever is interested to really, really improve how they feel and like appreciate they're wonderful, wonderful, unique bodies, because it, I do think it has a huge impact on our eating and our feeling about food. And we can just be more relaxed and eat as nature intended if we can um, really feel good about our body. So that that's the most important thing for 2024 for me to help people with, for sure. That is a fantastic resolution for anybody to have. That's fantastic. Yeah, work on your, your relationship, you. work on feeling good about, about your, your body not changing. Exactly, exactly. Thank you so much for all of your time, for the amount of information that you shared. I really think this is going to resonate with so many people. And I really do hope people feel comfortable with taking that next step and allowing to themselves to receive this information. And so thanks so much, Amelia. Until next time. Yes, thank you, Dina. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina, and I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again. Dish again.